had a, a wonderful upbringing, two wonderful parents, three sisters. I was head prefect at school, I went to university, I was president of the student union, I completed my degree, I went traveling, came back, established a very successful career. And then some things happened which were unexpected and I don't think I was really prepared for. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Our featured interview is with Ross Clement, a high-performance recruitment coach in Melbourne, Australia, whose successful journey did not begin so well. However, he's applied accurate and objective thinking to his financial plans and his business model to produce a robust and satisfying life. You'll hear how he overcame the naivete of his trajectory, fired his biggest client, and took the right actions required to live a great life. Well, first of all, Ross, welcome to the Influence Ecology Podcast. Thanks, John. You are a high-performance recruitment coach. Tell us what that means. Well, it means I provide coaching services to mainly owners in the recruitment industry, so mostly in Australia and New Zealand, but I also have some clients in California and Singapore. Very good. And you've been in business for how long now? 14 years. All right, great. Since I invited you to the podcast, I wanted to check out what aims do you have for being on the podcast? To articulate some of the benefits that I've gained from participating in the education and probably to clarify for myself some things that I hadn't perhaps clarified or hadn't articulated in the past. All right, good. And do you have any aims for the identity this produces for you within Influence Ecology or out in the world? Well, I'm always mindful of my identity in the marketplace, so my ambition would be that it enhances my identity in the marketplace, whether it's the marketplace of the Influence Ecology community or whether it's beyond that. Great. One of the primary aims that I have always is that I want people to get a sense of what we do and what we teach. But I'm always looking for what are the specific lessons that someone's had and how can we share those lessons with other people? How can you and I make life just a little bit better for those who are listening? Everybody's journey has something to contribute. And as I read through your own journey, there are a couple of things that stood out. One of them was your brilliant comeback from your early days. But also, I loved how much you talked about the way that you not only began to learn to think accurately about money, for example, but how you dealt with not wanting to talk about money. (laughs) It sounds like you didn't want to look at it. You didn't want to face it. You didn't want to have much to do with it. But now you do. 
So I'm just interested in that as well. And those are the two things that I think I want to focus on a little bit here. But for us to get to know you and your early journey, is there anything you want us to know about life before influence ecology? Well, life was really two parts, John. For me, it was the part that I had growing up as a child. I had a a wonderful upbringing, two wonderful parents, three sisters. I was head prefect at school. I went to university. I was president of the student union. I completed my degree. I went traveling, came back, established a very successful career. And then some things happened which were unexpected and I don't think I was really prepared for. I got married and my wife and I had two children and then our marriage quickly fell apart. We'd invested in a business, which was a very poor one. And so we lost all our money and we also lost money that we didn't have, other people's money. The job that I'd had and been very successful at I was fired from, unfairly in my view, but I was fired. And that's when I bought a business which then went downhill and lost all of our money. And I moved cities. Those events together were quite a shock. I was down and out. I wasn't in a relationship. I didn't have any money. And I wasn't quite sure what to do. And that's when I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose now. I might as well start my own business. And that was originally a training business, live training. And I developed that quite well and I paid off my debts and built that into a a coaching business, which became very successful. But then I got to a point where it plateaued and I had pretty much the same revenue for about four years in a row. And I was just unsure what was going to change that. I knew something needed to change. I just wasn't sure what. And that's when I had a call from Drew Knowles and I'd known Drew in another life and we had a conversation about influence ecology and I knew immediately from talking to Drew that what I was looking for was what influence ecology had. I just got to go back to your early days for a second because I got to think, I've known you for a while now, you've been participating in influence ecology for... Three years. Three years. Uh, coming Coming up to four. And I know you as a very intelligent human being. I know you as a guy who is deliberate and measured and, again, intelligent. And I've got to imagine that your early days and some of those things that happened from the marriage to the business to the being fired in the way that you were, I read about that, you know, and and so forth. What were you going through at that time? Did you think, what the heck is wrong with me? <laughs> or did you think, is the universe out to get me? What, what were you going through during most of that period? Well, I think probably the former. It's like, how come I've had all this success and then suddenly things are falling apart? What have I not seen? What's been beyond my view How have I caused this? And I was really unsure. I really didn't know because all I had was this history of things going well in my life. And then not only were they not going well, but they were not going well in multiples. So it was was very confronting. Yeah. Well, I can imagine. And I think it's worth stopping there for just a minute because, look, I talked to 
hundreds of people every week, trained thousands and thousands of people throughout my life. And most people, they often are caught off guard. They have similar kinds of experiences because they've done well in certain areas and to suddenly have something not work or to know they have a blind spot, to know they've got something they can't see, to suddenly wake up and think, I would have imagined I would be in a different place by now and I'm not. In fact, it seems like it's going backwards. So I know many people have that kind of experience. Anything you want to say to people who are listening and going through that kind of experience? Anything you want to say about all that? I had someone in a conference one day say, and I'm sure they were quoting someone famous, that all successful people will have a life that's more like a zigzag than a straight line. And it was that concept that comforted me in the sense that, well, other people have been down this path before. And although it seems ugly at the moment for me, I'm sure I've got what it takes to get back on my feet and do really well. And I've always had a pretty good level of confidence and optimism. In fact, from doing profiles, optimism is my number one character strength. And certainly it was tested at that particular time. Absolutely. All right. So you get a call from Drew. You talk about Influence College. It sounds like exactly what you needed. And what was it that he said or or what was it that you needed at the time? I think it was the money aspects, the fact that my money, although was fine, it was an area in my life that I was dissatisfied with. That was probably the thing that I could see. But it was also the format of the education. The other personal development programs that I've participated in were all quite experiential. And what I really liked about what Drew said was Influence Ecology was studying books. It was conversations via webinar. It was doing assignments. So it was a little more like what you'd expect in traditional education. And I felt that I needed the discipline of that. And I've always been a very big reader of books And I thought, well, if I can get exposed to some different books and I'm required to then think about those books and complete some work and apply that work in my business, then all of that's got to be good. Very good. So you started to study with this. In your notes, you offer that after you had taken the program, a year later, your profit was up 40% over the previous year. You weren't working more hours than you had the year before, and you had begun to move in some new ways with different kinds of clients. And we can come back to that in just a moment. I want to give people a sense of where you are now. Anything else we should know about where you are now and what's happening now? Because we know what happened during the early days. (laughs) And I want to give you a moment to say what's happening now. To bring people into the future, I've now, with my wife, uh, we've had our own house for seven years and we've got a big block. We live about two miles from the beach and we've got a community surrounding us that's a a wonderful community. And I work mainly from home, John. My wife works full-time, quite demanding job. She's an HR director of Hallmark Cards in Australia, Mm. and I've got the opportunity to run my business from home and to be the father that I want to be. I have my two children from my first marriage who live about an hour away. They're now 17 and 16, so I've got more flexibility to see them. I'm team manager of my son's football team and I'm able to cycle with him to school and cycle home. So all of those things I've been able to achieve 
through running my business via online programs rather than having to get the train to the city or the car or fly to Sydney or some other city. And that was certainly one of the ambitions that I had to to have more of my business be generated from home. And I've been able to accomplish that. That's fantastic. All right. So you're making more money, you're working less, you're now satisfying many other conditions of life, relationship, and so many more, obviously family and and the like. If we talk for a moment about some of the ways that you discovered you were naive, what would you say were some of the primary ways that you discovered that you weren't thinking accurately about some of those conditions or parts of your business? Well, money would be the obvious one. There's an exercise, as you well know, in one of the programs where you're asked to list very specifically your financial assets and to articulate an aim for retirement or for when you're not going to work and to look at whether you're on track to accomplish that. And I did that exercise kicking and screaming because I knew what the result would be. And it was that I wasn't on track to accomplish my money aims. And that was something that I, in the back of my mind, knew, but I'd been unwilling to confront. And doing that exercise, I got to confront it. And I got got kind of angry with myself, I think would be the the best way of describing my emotion because here I am, quite an intelligent guy. I've got an economics degree and I wasn't on track to accomplish my money aims. And there it was in black and white. Finally, at the age of 48, so I was confronting that. So, And my father is an accountant or sadly passed away now, but he was an accountant. And so there I was, the son of an accountant, an economics graduate, 48, quite successful financially, but I was not on track to accomplish my money aims and be able to cease work when I wanted to. And that was very confronting. I know what the confront feels like, but as soon as you saw that and faced that, then what? Well, I took action. Pretty much straight away, I took action. I contacted an independent financial advisor, so someone who charges you money, doesn't take a percentage of your assets or products that you buy. And so I sat down, or my wife and I sat down with him, and we went through a similar sort of exercise to what I went through in my Influence Ecology paper. And we then set up a plan. And my advisor, Matthew's his name, Matthew set out a spreadsheet for us between that time when I was 48 and 85. And we looked at our very specific goals and what we were projecting for income and expenses right out to the age of 85. And again, that was quite a confronting exercise, but a necessary one because what he showed us was that with a few tweaks now, we would be okay. We would be on track to accomplish our aims, but we needed to take that action now, not in five years' time. So I'm thinking about the people that are listening, right? Again, many people that I know and many people that began our programs had the same sort of experience, the same sort of exercise, confront where they are with their money, start to realize that if they don't take certain actions, they are in fact kind of screwed. Not kind of screwed. They are screwed or they may experience that sort of trap that they they know they need to, but they don't have a solution. They don't have a, a way in which to close the gap between what they need to produce or save or the like and where they find themselves wanting to go. Did you 
find that you didn't have a way to articulate how you were going to increase income? Or did you just simply know that if you saved a little here and planned a little of this and planned a little of that, you'd be fine? What did you confront about producing more income? If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. Well, I think what I confronted, and this links to my personality. So in Influence Ecology, we learn about our personalities in transactional competence. And so I'm a performer and my relationship to time is the present. And so everything that I was doing with respect to money was sorting things out for money in the present. And so I was always fine in the present, but I was not fine in the future. And my lack of specialised knowledge was the thing. And again, something we learn in this education about specialised knowledge. And I realised I needed to seek that specialised knowledge in somebody else because my existing financial planner really was just a financial products salesperson. And so I fired her, found Matthew, had the conversation. I was clear he had the specialised knowledge. He took Michelle, my wife and I, on the journey, I suppose the metaphorical journey to our future. And then we took action consistent with his recommendations. And did you then start to change the way in which you do business and the business model? Uh, you know, you were doing one, one-off workshops and webinars and, and all of that, and you began to offer programs, you know, two- and 12-month programs. So that business model and the change in, in that, uh, did that come about also through your study with Influence Ecology, or was that something else that he had recommended? How'd you come to that? Well, I came to that when I came to the conclusion of the first program, Fundamentals of Transaction. And one of the things that I could see very clearly was that as much as I thought I had specialised knowledge, and I did, I wasn't applying it in a specialised way. And what I mean by that, I was offering and doing one-off workshops or webinars, so on a, on a particular topic, and I would do that with a client or uh, some clients if it was a public program, but it wasn't that satisfying because I couldn't then follow the progress of the participants across a period of time, and it really wasn't very profitable. So one of the decisions I made, which was a very significant decision, was to stop doing one-off events, so to stop doing one-off workshops, so typically a half-day workshop or one-off webinars that were, say, one hour, and I was only going to do programs. In fact, my current programs are eight sessions for one program across two months, Uh, six sessions across three months and nine sessions across 12 months. So that's 
that's all I offer now. And that was a very big decision because my second biggest client was in fact a client I was doing one-off events for. So I made the decision that I would stop doing that. And that was that was a pretty big decision because I didn't have a replacement income stream at that point. So I really was jumping off the cliff and hoping that there was a soft landing. Well, not hoping, but I planned for it. And it has, in fact, turned out really well. Uh, a couple of years later, I've replaced that income. And as you said earlier, I've increased my I take from the business by 40% purely through the application of programs rather than doing one-off events. And I think I want to take a moment and address this because in my mind, as the guy that's co-founder of our programs and what we teach and, and so forth, throughout the years, Ross, people have said, what's influence ecology? What do you do? What do you teach? And I've, I've said a lot about it. In fact, on podcasts, for those that are listening, I've said a lot of different things about what influence ecology is and what it's about and so forth. In many ways, for me, the influence ecology programs, especially the Fundamentals of Transaction program, has been a program to help people consider all the conditions of life, how to satisfy each one of them, and then build a business, build a primary transaction to satisfy all of those things. So in other words that we want to help people with business models that allow them to live in the way they want, make the money that they want, ride their bike with their son to school every day if they want, and so forth. So I'd love to know if there's any lessons about this change in business model that you could offer to people who are listening. Anything that you learned along the way, because for many people, when they're changing business models, they have to confront certain things they thought would work and things they tested and things they weren't thinking accurately about. Anything you have to share about your journey and shifting your business model and what we can let other people learn from that? Well, I think the key thing, John, is there's always going to be something to give up. And that thing that you're giving up, for me, my second largest client with a very defined amount of income that I generated over the years was tangible. And I was giving that up for something that was not tangible. I was giving it up for the belief that I could generate more revenue through my new business model. And there was no guarantee that that was going to occur. And I would imagine that that's what every single person has to confront at some point in their business where there's some history that things are going okay and you've got some sense that something different will do better. But of course, there's no guarantee and you've got, well, you don't have to, but there's this moment where it's like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it and it's going to be okay. Not blind faith, but doing it with a clear plan for how you're going to change the model, what you're going to do very specifically to generate new customers and what measures you're going to use to judge whether what you've done is a success. And I'd like to think I did and have done all of those things and that's why it turned out well. And in the beginning when you were considering this different approach, it sounds like you did a, a full plan of how you might go about replacing that large client income or even doing better, when you first confronted that, did it seem doable or did it seem like a stretch? Or did you trust your own ability to just go and sell programs? What, what did you go through there? Well, I think this goes back to me being an optimist, John. 
the, the fact that I am such an optimist. And I didn't really think that much about it because once I could see that what I was doing was, one, frustrating, not very profitable for me, I joined Influence Ecology. I, I decided to participate in the education to do something different. And here I was with an opportunity and it, to me, it was reasonably obvious this is what I should do. So it's like, well, if I'm not going to take this opportunity, why am I doing this education? I might as well just fold up and go back to doing what I was doing before. So for me, it was like this is the crossroads and I can see very clearly where the future leads. And even though, of course, there's no guarantee, it, to me, it was pretty obvious that this was the thing that I needed to do. So as an optimist, it was like, okay, this is what I've got to do. I'm going to do it and I'm just going to trust myself. I'm going to do the action and I'm sure it will work out. And so I didn't think that much about it, took the action and it did work out. I'm just going to ask you because you did talk about optimism in your notes and, and it's sort of a run through. Do you feel like you were optimistic even in the beginning when things were sort of falling apart and failing and all of that? Did you have times of doubt or did you always trust yourself that you would come out right? I think I always trusted myself, John. I'm like I didn't, I didn't get down on myself and I'm a very action-oriented person. So I'm not someone to sit there and gaze at my belly button and sort of wonder why the world has created circumstances that's led to this place. To me, it's always, right, this is where I am. What have I got to do to move forward? Let's do that thing. And that's just the way I've been wired up. And I remember when I spoke to one of my good friends about my assessment and the assessment, the character assessment where optimism came out as number one. And part of the exercise that I was to do that my coach set me to do was to interview people about my strengths. And so I interviewed my friend and I asked him about optimism and, and, and his view of that. And I sort of expressed this doubt that I didn't really see it as my number one strength. And he paused and he looked at me and he had this incredulous look on his face and he said, Ross, you've got to be kidding. You're like the most optimistic person I know. <laughs> so it's this character trait that I don't see in myself or didn't see in myself that's been a big factor in all aspects of my life, which is keep taking action. I can get out of this. I can get through this. I can accomplish this if I just keep moving forward. And that's, that's where I see optimism has been really important for me and something that perhaps I hadn't realised how important it was until I was in the hole having lost my job and lost my marriage and lost all the money that I had. And as a performer, I just got to ask you, do you think that the performer personality is a very action-oriented personality? Because you've said probably two dozen times, I just keep taking action. Sounds like you're in the present, in the moment, taking action. And as long as you can do that, it leaves you quite optimistic. Would you say that's an accurate description of you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, as soon as I saw the personality characteristics for the performer, it was like, that's really clear to me that that's me. It was just so obvious because of the relationship to time being the present, moods projected being positive, behavioral orientation is action. So those, those things were just all me. Very good. All right. I think I want to take one other look at personality for a moment and the performer. Did you find that what we taught freed you to be more of yourself as a performer? Did you learn anything new about yourself as a performer? 
Yes, I did, particularly when I look at the performer's dominant need for happiness, which is freedom. And I could see immediately when I saw that the link to me being self-employed and how much enjoyment I get from doing it. And often I'll meet people who I used to work with or other people who are employed and have some aspiration for self-employment. And they'll say, oh, I don't know how you do it, Ross. You know, how can you work from home? And I'm like, it's easy. I've got the freedom to make the choices in my life. So it really works for me. So from that point of view, I can really see the performer. But the other thing which is really useful is understanding my wife. And my wife is a producer personality. And one of the things that really helped me was in producer personality, they like being included. And so when my wife occasionally gets very irritated or upset with me, almost always it's because I've not included her in something. I'll start talking about something that we should do and maybe she'll have the experience of, why didn't you start talking to me about this earlier? I want to be included in this conversation and discuss like a holiday or something like that. So it's been really helpful in our relationship, understanding that it's really important when I start thinking about something to immediately start articulating it with my wife because otherwise she has, well, I run the risk of her having experience that she's been excluded. Absolutely. That's beautiful. All right. Very good. I think the last thing I want to ask you is I want to ask a little bit about your specialization as a recruitment coach. You have had an enormous amount of You've certainly had your 10,000 hours, if you will, in this capacity with all that you've done. You've been a professional recruiter most of your adult life. Yes, all of my adult life since I left university. And so what should people know about what you provide as a recruitment coach? Well, predominantly, I coach owners. And most of these owners are micro recruitment agencies. And this is another area of specialization that I went down having participated in the Fundamentals of Transaction program. I decided that I would focus on those owners, not just any owners, not just small, but micro or owners who have five employees or less. So I work with those owners specifically to assist them with their own recruitment of their own staff and how to set up performance management and how to maximize that when their own recruiters come on, so these are third-party or agency recruiters, how they can become successful quickly. And as a coach, I, I coach the owners in having performance conversations. So that would be the major area with the owners. And then my training programs, my public programs are for rookies who are just entering the industry. And I also have an advanced program. And so most of the participants are employees of businesses that are small recruitment businesses because they don't have their own internal training resources and they rely on an, on an external trainer like me. And because the programs are all online, it means it's relatively low cost to participate. They don't have to leave the office and be out day. They're just online for 90 minutes or two hours. That's great. All right. Well, I will give you the opportunity to, to climb on your soapbox, as you may have heard in some of our other podcasts. Is there anything that you wanted to say from your own soapbox about what matters to you? Well, I think the major thing, John, for me is accurate thinking. I mean, I spoke about that earlier, the importance of applying objective thinking to decisions. And clearly that's made a big difference for me in money. And then from a business point of view is focus. I thought I was specialised, I thought I was focused, and I was 
to the broader market, but considering the market that I was servicing, the recruitment agency market, I could and I did choose to become more specialised and I applied more focus. And that's the thing that I've really benefited from. And I think from watching other members of the Influent Ecology community apply the same sorts of things, they've also gained the same sorts of benefits that I have. Well, Ross, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so very, very much for joining us on the Influence Ecology podcast and for being a great customer. Pleasure, John. As I said, today's Guru Talk is from a webinar classroom co-led by myself and co-founder Kirkland Tibbles, where we address the opportunity of your specialized knowledge and the importance of knowing your aims. Here's the talk. Maybe the place to start is what you don't want to do. John and I sat down and there were things that John said right away that, look, here's an area I'm not, I don't want to do this stuff. Not much. I had the long list, right, John, early on? Yeah. And, and I, I was like, look, I, I'll do this stuff right here. These are things I don't want to do and I'm not going to do it. I've done that. I want to do this. And we, there were a few things in the middle that we had to split up and do. Didn't love it, but it wasn't long before we were transacting to get a partner and started hiring people to do those things, we were crystal clear what we weren't going to do as a condition of these aims. John, I just wanted to toss that in. Very great. Thank you so very much for that. Well, I'd also like to take us back to something we all pointed to in the third webinar. And that is simply that if you don't respect your own offer, no one will. I bring that up now because ultimately what you're doing here in articulating your aims for each condition of life is you're ultimately saying what you will and won't do. In other words, what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, how you might respect your own health, how you might respect how you would work or not, respecting your own need for money, developing a respected identity. I can imagine some of you, and I've talked with you, I know some of what you're dealing with or struggling with, and I bring this up because you may need to get yourself ready to start defending or protecting or producing all the ways in which you seek to be respected as someone exchanging in the marketplace. And that is something to build. It's something that takes accepting and declining in accordance with your aims, accordance with how you seek to be respected in the marketplace. But you must start with, I'd say, having a little freedom about what those aims are. I'll give an example. If I seek to make $280 an hour, but I don't respect that, or if I'm not free to think, oh, I'll never get that, I'll never make that, Forget about I'll never make that. What would satisfy it? Would $280 an hour satisfy it? If it's not, if it's $450, then it ought to be $450. And then you got to look and see, all right, well, $450. Okay, let's just start there. Because remember, all we're doing right now is making sure that we state what would satisfy health, what would satisfy work, what would satisfy money, what would satisfy career. Forget about how, I'm just talking about what would satisfy. Then we're going to begin to build the transaction to satisfy those things. In our next episode, we interview Michael Dunn. He helps build forecasting models for governments. 
We spoke to him about the difficulty of being analytical and navigating social environments. My scientific training has given me this skepticism and this background of that may be true, but let's test it. In some ways, if you apply that to my life, it was a shock to me when my first wife and I split up and a lot of it was through my social failings and was like, hey, this is a wake up call. Something's got to change here. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with others. You can share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can subscribe on iTunes or any place you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes, and let us know what you think. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology Podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank our guests for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This podcast is made possible by the brilliant work of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. Episode producer, editor, and music supervisor is Jason Kelly. Podcast, copy, and show notes, editing, and links by Carol Gregory.